Now we're going to go right to scripture right now. I have something on my heart that I want to say to you, to bring, bringing you the word of the Lord this morning. I want to go to 2, Timothy, or 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. We were in this, we were in this uh, chapter, but I have some things I want to say further on this. 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. One, I want to begin by reading verse 5, and then we'll read a few more verses here. But I want to read verse 5, and I want, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You ready to hear the word of the Lord? You online, are you ready to hear the word of the Lord? I pray that you say amen. I pray you have an open Bible. And so we're in Second Peter, and we're in chapter 1. And we looked at the first four verses a while back, several weeks ago. But I'm going to look at verse 5, and then we're going to read on down. And I've titled this message, Giving All Diligence. Giving All Diligence. Are you giving all diligence? We're going to read that verse. Are you giving all diligence? You say, what does that mean? That means, are you giving it your all? Are you giving Jesus your all? This is the teaching of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also, but also this, for this very reason... For this very reason. Now look at that. This very reason. What reason is he talking about? He's talking about the enormous or the enormity of the saving grace of Jesus Christ in your life. For this reason. For the reason that Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago. Hung on the cross, God becoming man. I mean, there's, there's nothing like the Christian message. There's nothing so inspiring, so wonderful, so supernatural that God sent his son from heaven to redeem us. He died on the cross for you. You're loved today. Do you know that? I told you Wednesday night online, you're loved, you're important, and you're safe. Everyone say that. Said, I'm loved, I'm important, and I'm safe. You're loved. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do I know he loves me? He died on the cross for me. If you ever doubt the love of God, just start meditating on the cross. It'll get so rich in your soul. It'll get so big in your soul. You'll shout, even if no one's there with you to shout. Because for this reason, for all, it's almost, this verse is very similar to Romans 12 and 1, because of the mercies of the Lord, because, you know, therefore, because of the mercies of the Lord, do this. Because of this, he says, for this reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things, what are these things? These are those seven things I just read. There are seven graces that we need to be growing in. Are, are you growing in those graces? It says here, for if these things are yours and they abound, you will neither be bare nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks the, for he who lacks these things, he's short-sighted. Even to blindness, 
and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, talking to Christians here, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Give all diligence. And now he says, ratchet it up a little bit. Get, listen, when we ran track, sometimes when we ran long distance, anyone run long distance in here? Yes, me too, sister. <laughs> so long ago, it's not, it's not even precious memories anymore. Anyone else run long distance? You are very smart crowd. Brother David ran long distance. In long distance, you'd run and you'd run and you couldn't, it almost like, oh, I know Brad used to run marathons and mini marathons or not half marathons. And there's this, and Brad could tell you, all of a sudden you get a second wind. It's, it's the strangest thing. It's like you get a second wind and you get reinvigorated. I don't even know what happens, but it's a true thing. And we know that, we that have run. But what I'm telling you here, he says, get your second wind in the Christian life. Listen, you started out a long time ago. I started out a long time ago. Some of you started out way before I did, and you've been running a long time. The Christian life is not the 40-yard or the 100-yard or the 100-meter. The Christian life is like the marathon. It's a long-distance run. Listen, it's from the moment we say, yes, Jesus, to the moment our spirit leaves our body and we've got to be with Jesus. It could be tomorrow. It could be a long time. But what happens is that during this race, we're expending spiritual energy. We're serving the Lord. We go through battles. There's conflicts. There's difficulties. There's warfares that we go through. There's faith battle. Fight the fight of faith. It's, there's hand-to-hand combat with the powers of the enemy. And you get tired. But you know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to give you a second wind in your Christian life. He wants to re-energize you in your Christian life so that you can finish strong. Now, in this text here, some are not finishing strong here. Look at this. Said it. Notice, if these things are in you and abound, you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be unfruitful. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll ne- never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied abundantly unto, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Ah, this, this chapter, I just pray, Father, bless the word to our hearts. Oh, I've loved these verses since I was a late teens. This chapter, this first chapter is like, it's hard to even get to the rest of the book because it's so powerful. But let me talk to you today about giving all diligence. One of the things that we learn from these verses is that the Christian life is something we've got to really work at. Christian life, anything, anything that is healthy, you've got to work at it. Everything, our, our physical health, your, your home, your, your yard, everything about us, you have to work at it. Well, the Christian life is, is no different. Here it says, giving all diligence. Now, that, that really means just maximum effort. Are we giving our best to the Lord? Are we giving our best to Jesus? We really need to do that right now because, I mean, we're, we're in a pressing mode right now. 
And it seems like we start getting momentum and then you get an ice storm. You start getting momentum, you get a pandemic in the world. You start get, you know, and so, it's like, it's like, you know, there's always something to hinder us. We're going to come around the front in just a bit here. We're going to pray a, a brief prayer. It's not going to be a long prayer. And we're going to do two things. We're going to submit, resubmit all of our lives and our work, this work to God. And then we are going to resist the enemy. And the Bible says, James 4, 7, remember what it says? The devil's going to flee. There's no power over us. But the Christian life is something we've got to work at. Jesus used this kind of language. Jesus said this in Luke 13, 24, he said, strive. That's the language he used. Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able to. That word strive means to strain. It's the word where we get the English word agonize. Are we agonizing in our Christian life? Are we, are we striving forward? Are we straining forward? Are we fighting forward? It, it really has the, the, the connotation to, to you know, exert strenuous effort is what it's talking about. And the truth is that growth and, growth and spiritual advancement in the, in the Christian life, it's not optional. It's not optional, but it's absolutely essential that we grow in our faith because it's, it's essential for spiritual survival in these last days. Now you hear me, and I just give you a loving warning that we're going to look at these seven things. I'm going to give you some definitions. And I can tell you, those that are not applying these in these difficult days that we're coming into are probably not going to make it. They're probably not going to make it. You say, Pastor, what, what do you see prophetically in the world? I see the world set up for Antichrist. Perfectly set up for Antichrist. I mean, our, our, our wonderful nation. I'm old enough, barely, barely. I remember when they used to read the Bible in the classroom. I can remember reading the Lord's Prayer in the classroom. I can remember them praying, the teacher praying with the kids. They prayed in the name of Jesus. We had someone in our Congress pray to some false god and call God a her or something like that, something ridiculous. Oh, a man and a woman. How ridiculous that is. <laughs> that is so, it's, it's, we laugh, but we need to cry. <sighs> the fact is that I think we're being set up for Antichrist. Now, I'm not trying to scare anyone, but, but I've studied the prophetic scripture since I was a teenager. And I can tell you this, the, 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 when Jesus comes... World power is back toward the Middle East. Back around the, Ro the old Roman Empire. That's where world power is. Prophetically, that's what the prophetic word said. That's what Daniel says. That's what Revelation says. So my question to you is what happens to America? Because we are the world power now. And I can only imagine that we are disobeying our God. And no one can disobey the Lord and get by with it forever. How is God going to discipline our nation? We are heading toward discipline. How is that going to happen? We are, we are watching the, the degeneration of a culture today. Family culture. The nuclear family. Children. So I'm saying to you today, if we're going to survive spiritually... There needs to be a growth and advancement if we're going to remain strong 
in where we're headed in our world. In fact, it's, it's actually dangerous to not grow spiritually. We see that in the text here. It indicates this, that, that we, need to, we need to be growing in our faith, but we also need to be guarding our faith. Do you realize that, that, our, that one of the, the, last, the last direct word, this, is, now this word I'm going to read here is not a word through an apostle, just simply through an apostle to the church. This is, a, this is the last and most direct word to the church that's ever been written. And it's the seven churches of Revelation. God is speaking, Jesus is speaking directly to his church. And one of the last things he says in Revelation 3 and verse number 11, look at this. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take away your crown. No one. Who is influencing you today? I tell people to stay off YouTube. Don't be listening to 14, 15, 20 different preachers. If you listen to them, you need to know what you're listening to. You need to know if it's good doctrine. You need to know if that pastor that you're listening to is living for God. Is he calling people to holiness? Is he he calling people to salvation? Is his doctrine pure? Because it will affect you. Go through your New Testament again. Jesus warned over and over again about being careful what you hear and who you hear. Be careful what you hear and who you listen to. Jesus said, be careful of the doctrine of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Be careful of their doctrine. Why? Because their doctrine influences life. You need to be very cautious. Jesus said, let no one take your crown. Who's influencing you today? Who, who has influence over your life? Don't let anyone take your crown. Now notice just, see, negligence is the beginning of spiritual problems. In Peter, it says there, he says, if these things are yours and abound, but he says, he who lacks these things, he who's not growing, he's not exerting himself strenuously to lay hold of these seven uh, graces that we're going to look at. He, and he, he warns us here, he says, you will neither be barren Now, the word barren in verse 9 means useless or idle. You know, the Lord never created any of us to be idle. You know that Ephesians, there's an incredible verse. You know that from eternity past, God had uh, outlined a work that he called you to do. Notice this. This is Ephesians 2.10. This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Ephesians. It says, for we we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, that means that Jesus saved us. His work of salvation, that's the work. But it says he created us for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared beforehand what work that he's called you to do. You are gifted by God. You know, at school they had the gifted and talented. Now, most of us never got in that class. But you know, in the church, we're all gifted. Everyone's gifted. Everyone's gifted. Everyone is important in the church. God has ordained beforehand. When he saved you, he put you together just like he wanted you so that he marked out a plan. He doesn't want you idle. And you're called to serve fervently. Romans tells us how we are to serve the Lord. And it's not in in negligence. I warn you today. Against negligence, I warn you today, against apathy, 
Romans 12 and verse 11 says this, not lagging in diligence, notice, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Do you see that? The Moles translation, Henry Moles was a scholar. He wrote his own translation. Got to be smart to write your own translation. But in his translation, he, he translated this verse this way. Keep at the boiling point for the Lord. Keep at the boiling point. For the, he ever drank a lukewarm cup of coffee? You ever thought coffee was hot and, you, and, and it's the worst thing in the world? Let me tell you something. I'm a coffee lover. That is thing right. Okay, keep at the boiling point. Water boils at 212. We got to keep that 212 hotness in our spirit, spiritually in a sense. But see, Satan works to keep us idle. Satan works, he doesn't want us to be one of those vessels, meet and useful to the Lord. He wants to keep us idle. He wants to keep us barren and idle and useless for the Lord. So how does that happen? One of the ways it happens, when, you know, when Jesus taught the parables of the sower and the soils, there was four soils and that all the soils received the seed, but only, only really one of those soils was fruitful long-term. Some of them were temporary, but one, one of those in market says this, one of the things that chokes out fruitfulness is this, the desire, and I like what he says here in Mark, the desire for other things. Mark four nineteen. the desire for other things. You know that things that will damage you spiritually are not necessarily evil things. There's things that will clutter your spirit that are not healthy for you spiritually. You'll just be involved in things that just diminish your spiritual life. They're not evil on the surface. But anything that robs us of fruitfulness and devotion with God, that's, that's a trick of the enemy to get us overbalanced that way. In verse 9, he also mentions unfruitful. And that means simply not to produce what's desired or not to produce the intended result becomes unfruitful. In other words, if these seven graces are not growing and abounding in your life, you're going to be barren. You're going to be loose, useless and idle and you're, and you're not going to be fruitful. You're not going to be producing the desired result that God wants in your life. You know, the Lord is like a husbandman. Uh, he's like a gardener. And in the Old Testament, Prophet Isaiah talked about how that Israel was like a garden. Israel was like a vineyard. And the Lord came in to Israel. He removed the rocks and he planted them in the vineyard. And he cultivated it. And the, and the husbandman, the gardener, did everything that he could have done to make it fruitful. But yet when he came at harvest time, it was unfruitful. And Jesus taught the same kind of parables about how that the, the, the wine press or, the, or the, the, the garden that they created. And I'm using the wrong words. The, he put a hedge around. He protected it. He invested it. He pulled the weeds, etc. Yet when it, But when it came for harvest, it didn't produce the desired result. It didn't produce the right thing. And we see this language in the New Testament. We see in Matthew 21, he came, and this was a prophetic act. He came to the, he saw the fig tree at a distance and it had leaves on it, but when he got there, it had no fruit on it. And Jesus curses the fig tree. And the disciples look at Jesus and probably thought, he must be having a really bad day. He's cursing fig trees. And then it says, in, in Matthew's version of this, it, there's, a, there's actually a day different. They came by the next morning, 
and, and the, the fig tree had already withered up. But in Matthew, it looks like it happened the next second. But Mark says, realize the next day. So the next day they come and it had withered up. Jesus said, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And it was a prophetic act toward Israel. Because Israel was going to be destroyed by Titus, the Roman general, in 70 AD. And has, has any nation had more grace than Israel? God rescued them out of Egypt. God gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the glory. He gave them the tabernacle services. And yet, every, listen, everything, everything was all that he did in the past to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Malachi, all of them, everything pointed to one moment. I talked about it online about the, the 490 prophetic years of Daniel that Daniel gave. 490 years of prophecy. It's the most incredible prophecy in the Bible. I heard a guy the other day said, a guy in Nashville, young, yuppie, millennial pastor, he came out and said, the word of God, the Bible is not the word of God. That's what he said. Well, he's a nitwit. Anyone that would be honest, honest, intellectually honest, they may reject it. That's fine. They have a choice to reject or accept it. But if anyone would truly honestly study the word of God intellectually and look at it with an honest mind and an honest heart, like you would with any other kind of information, you would be absolutely astounded. You may reject it, but you would be astounded. What if, what if, what if I asked you to do this? What if I said to you, tell me, or what if I did this? Let me, let's say it this way. What if I did this? What if I said to you, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. At this certain time, 8 o'clock, someone's going to knock on your door. Right at 8 o'clock, somebody's going to knock on your door. And then at 10.30, this is going to happen. And then at noon, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And I told you everything in detail of what was going to happen tomorrow. Not, not one of these things, you know, one of these kind of vague kind of deals. But I told you things that were going to happen. And you came back the two days later, and you're just like, I, I, I'm astounded. Do you understand this is, a, this is what Daniel did, but he did it 500 years in advance. 500 years to the day when Jesus rode in Jerusalem and they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To the day. You can't fake that stuff. It is the word of God. You may not want it, that's fine. That's up to you. It's your choice. But it is the supernatural word of God. Do you know we have the truth before us today? We have it. We have the miracle word of God. Don't believe the lies of these little puny prophets. But think about it. Giving all diligence. Are you striving for the Lord? What causes the unfruitfulness? I think we become short-sighted. He said that in verse 9. They're short-sighted. What does it say? Like short-sighted? That's the translation. You know what short-sighted is? This right here. I want to take off my glasses. Who are you? 
Are you the Baptist church? Oh, no, you're Trinity Life Church. Sorry. I, it's, I can't see that far off anymore. I'm short-sighted. Okay. And that's what's to be spiritually short-sighted is like this. Here's what creates unfruitfulness. One, one of the things he said uh, was, one of the things he said here was the desire for other things. Just other things. And then here, short-sighted. Now think about this. Let's, let's focus here. I know there's no bathroom, so we'll, I'm getting out of here soon. Quail. Not that I got to go, but maybe you do. Come on. Uh, the next breath, you know, we're the next breath. We could be in eternity. I'm trying to scare you. I'm just telling you. No one's promised. The ne- the ne- this breath I'm breathing is a gift from God. Next breath. We may not be, the, the rapture may take place. And I think, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, with what's going on, I believe in a rapture more than ever before. But here's, what, here's the trick of the enemy. Here's why we're unfruitful. We're short-sighted. We think about, oh, I've got to pay the car insurance. Got the kids in school, this homeschool thing, this COVID. I'm so sick of these kids. You know, oh, man. Got my busted water pipe and again, no bathroom and wow, oh, I gotta get the car, car to the shop. Oh, I need to change the oil in my car. And 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 there's nine thousand earthly things that are pulling at your attention. And the moment you breathe your last breath, do you realize how much all that's gonna matter? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. What matters is we have to strive, we have to fight to keep that vision of heaven, of heaven, that we're going to heaven, that heaven is our reality. See, all this is an illusion. This is the things which are seen are temporary. This is an illusion. It's all going to burn with a fervent heat, but the land that we're going to is going to last forever. And we become short-sighted. We forget heaven. We forget that we're forgiven for our old past sins. And, and also, we're not walking close to Jesus. He said this, if you abide in me and I abide in you, the same will bring forth much fruit. The word abide there is the Greek word meno. And it means really just to remain close to. It, that's what it means, to, to remain very close to. Jesus said, see, we become unfruitful when... We're not walking close to Jesus. And think everything in our culture is fighting to get us away from Jesus. And these kids, we were talking about last night, my wife and I, our precious kids, what they're having to deal with. They're not going to get to know to grow up in a world where you can ride your bike all day and not have to worry about anything. Get out of this house, boy. Go, go, come back at dark when supper comes. You just go ride your bike and play in the woods and nobody thought anything about it. How many can give me an amen there? Drinking out of the hose. Riding in the back of a pickup truck without being strapped down. You know? Just stop, free. We were free at one time. We were free. Now... We're too stupid. We have to have the government tell us every little thing to do. We're not smart enough anymore somehow. I don't know what's happened. But no, see, I believe in the sovereignty of the individual. You hear me? I believe in the sovereignty of the individual. I believe you are smart enough to run your own life. 
as a pastor. I have an authority as a pastor. My authority is in this church. I have a spiritual authority, but my authority doesn't reach into, I don't, you tell you buy your own insurance. I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't have any business to tell you and your family what to do in that way. I can counsel you. I can pray for you. And I don't want, we're sovereign. Amen. Anyway. Now notice this. I'm going to, I'm going to give you these as I close. Here's, here is the, here are the virtues, the graces that the Lord said you need to abound in. I'm going to give you, a, definitions are very important. There's seven of them. I'll give them to you quick, and then we're going to close in prayer. Now, I would say this as I give you these. There's a mistaken view in the Christian life. And the mistaken view is, I hear people say this, we need to rest in the finished work of Jesus. Now, I know what they mean, but I think... When people hear it, they misinterpret it. Here's what resting in the finished work of Jesus means. Resting in the finished work of Jesus means that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And if you have faith in anyone or anything except Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, then that is a faith that will not save. You have to rest your faith and keep your faith in Jesus. He's the only Savior. But what that doesn't mean, resting in the finished work of Jesus, doesn't mean there's nothing that I need to do. Here, Peter says, you need to give, because of that, you need to do this. You need to give all diligence to add these things to your life so you won't be useless, so you won't be unfruitful before God, and so that you can have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. And, you, and if you do these, you won't stumble. I've watched Christians stumble, and I'm, I'm concerned that we're going to have more Christians stumble. I've watched Christians that used to worship God, never miss a service. Now they have no desire. It looks like there's no desire for God at all. What happened is they stopped staying close to Jesus. They became unfruitful. It's very dangerous not to grow. Peter says you need to add to your faith. That's saving faith. You need to add this in verse 5, virtue. Virtue is Moral excellence or moral courage. In, in ancient times, it meant something that fulfilled something. It, it meant something that fulfills its nature, the nature. In other words, if, if you used um, a pen and a pen wrote, it fulfilled its purpose. You know, if you used a mower and the mower worked, it was virtuous. It fulfilled what it was created to do. Do you know you were created for God? Virtue is moral excellence. You, you and I were not created to live in sin. We were not created to live at a distance from God. We were not created to live in rebellion. We were created for virtue. The happiest people are the holiest people. I'm telling you, holy people are happy people. Do you know why there's strife in many homes? Because there's sin in homes. But if there's holiness there, there's a spirit of peace that's there. Peace and righteousness always kiss each other. They always go together. But, but also the word virtue, also it described gods that would do, gods, little g, that would do heroic deeds, like the myth, mythological gods. This was used in extra-biblical Greek. That's not the definition here, but the hero, you know, heroism. Moral excellence, moral courage is what it, what it was. 
We need moral courage. We need moral excellence and we need moral courage today. If there's ever been a day that we need moral courage and righteous heroics, it's today. Let me say this to us. Let's be courageous for the Jesus. I know what's happening in our, but listen, it's always been that way. Let's be heroic. Let's stand for Jesus. Let's be like Peter, James, and John, or or John and Peter, when they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to obey you or, you know, your sight to obey you, or we're going to obey the Lord. We're going to obey the Lord. We'd rather obey God rather than men. Now, the Christian makes the best citizens because a Christian will pay his taxes. He'll be kind. He'll be He'll contribute to the blessing of society. But what we won't do is we won't violate the word of God. That's the higher authority, virtue. Then there's knowledge. And I'll just go quickly here. Knowledge means, it doesn't just mean accumulation of spiritual facts, but it means practical knowledge. It means the kind of knowledge that will help you handle life successfully. True spirituality doesn't make a person so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Good, True spirituality makes a person a good husband. It makes a child a good child. It makes someone practically good. It's knowledge that is true knowledge that goes into good action. And the knowledge self-control. This self-control has to do mastering your body, mastering your passions. Now listen to me. Mastering, especially sensual urges. We live in a perverted society. I saw an article on uh, a Christian website and it said, there's a generation that's been raised, listen to me, on hardcore pornography because of cell phones. Carrying these cell phones around with them. You can get anything at any time. Hardcore pornography. My wife and I talked about this last yesterday. We were talking about our, the young people, our nation, and how that when, when someone's involved in pornography, I can tell you, they're inviting demon spirits into their lives. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed. It could lead there. But you're inviting demon spirits to control parts of your mind, parts of your life. It is not the will of God. What we need is self-control. You hear, can I hear an amen? Self-control. Self-control has, has to do with being able to handle the pleasures of life and to be a disciplined person. Young men, young women too, but especially young men, young men know, need to know how to have self-control. Need to know how to allow the Holy Spirit to control those passions of our heart. We can never please God. If we come and worship on Sunday and then we're looking at some kind of rotten filth that is harmful to young women, that that is violent to young women, it is not the will of God. It is evil. It is wicked. What do we do, Pastor? If you have to cut your hand off, if you have to gouge your eye out, Jesus said. Now, he wasn't talking literally. He was talking metaphorically. He was talking about the seriousness of these kinds of sin. Paul said that we're one spirit with Jesus. Paul said, how can you take your body that the Spirit of God lives in and join it to a prostitute? It's like taking, because Jesus is in us. How could you, would you take Jesus and join him to a prostitute? God forbid. God forbid the, even the thought of that. We need self-control. Perseverance. Perseverance, now listen, self-control has to do with handling the pleasures of life. 
but perseverance has to do with handling the pressures of life. Got pressures. Man, I tell you, I've had lots of pressures this last year. Moving the church forward, our, our board, Jason and Jr., uh, uh, JR, all these guys, Josh and Kevin. You know, we've had some pressures. We're, you know, in a time we're wanting to move the church to the future, and it's been, it's been pressure, and the Lord is giving us, it's that ability not to give up. The Holy Spirit in us says, don't give up. We're not giving up, are we? The greatest days are just ahead, amen? And then there is godliness. This is the fifth one, godliness. It literally can be translated to have reverence or awe for God. It's someone, it's, it's someone who basically is a godly person, a God-like person. In ancient literature, uh, extra-biblical literature, it was, it, des- it was describing someone who was in close contact with the gods. Do you know, you're, that, that's little g, not real God, false gods. But you know, we're in close contact with God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and here's, here's the thing about this word, godliness. It's a quality of a character of a person that is distinctive. Do you know people know when we've been in the presence of God? It's very distinctive. If you have been in God's presence and there's a godliness and there's a reverence in you, there's an awe of God, you serve God in fear. You fear to, you fear to sin against the Lord. There's a sense of restraint. There's a sense of self-control. There's a sense of walking close to God. You're living close to God. And there's a, there's a sense of godly presence in your life because you walk close to your God. Our leaders in our nation are trying to really, whether they know they're doing this or not, I think some of them are victims as well of the enemy. But when you begin to pass laws that cause the church to come in conflict with their faith, there's, there's powers in our nation today that, that they are seeking to rid, really rid the world, rid the nation of true Christianity, but what they do not realize, listen to me, what our leaders do not realize, and I say this with grace, I say this with love, what our leaders do not realize is that the true church, the true Christians, are the only thing that's keeping this nation back from judgment. Do you realize when this church leaves this world, there will not be a Christian, a true Christian in this nation? It may be church folks, that's different. But there will not be one true Christian Do you understand how dark it is now? Do you comprehend, can you even comprehend how dark it will be when there will not be one praying person, not one righteous person, not one person that has the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their life? It will be when the lights are cut out on the nation. Thessalonians says, talks about that in 2 Thessalonians then he lists the fifth, the sixth one, brotherly love. And that just simply means love of other Christians. Love of the brethren. Love of the brethren. We love the church. We love the church. We love the Christians. We love our brothers and sisters. There's nothing like the church. There's nothing so wonderful as a church walking in unity, walking in love. Nothing like it. Nothing like it this side of heaven. But then he mentions brotherly love, but then he mentions love. You ever notice that? Brotherly love, but then he mentions love. What's the difference? Brotherly love is the love of those who are just like us. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. Christians. 
But love has to do with loving those that are not like us, lost people. And Jesus expressed love for lost people, his enemies, when he hung on the cross. I close with this. We have to be adding all diligence to make sure that we are growing in our faith. It is not, it, this is not just a fruit issue. This is an eternal issue. This, it's dangerous not to grow in these areas. Are we growing in virtue, moral excellence, moral courage? Are we growing in knowledge? Are we growing in self-control? Are we growing in perseverance? Are we growing in godliness? Are we growing in brotherly love? And are we growing in love? And if we will grow in these ways and you'll keep growing, guess what's going to happen? The abundant entrance. Can you imagine going to heaven? Can you imagine? No, you can't. I can't either. Can you imagine? A place where there's no sin and sorrow and everything is about Jesus and worship and it's a peace and a freedom like we've never known before. And then we wait there with him until the resurrection if we go before rapture and we wait for our new bodies. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We're going to close in prayer. I want you to stand. And I would ask that, I'm going to give a call here and I told you we're going to pray and I would ask you just to respond promptly. This won't be long. I want everyone that will just to join me all the way across the front here. You don't have to stand close together if you don't want to. Just spread out right here. Come on, would everyone come that, that is physically able? Come, we're going to pray a prayer. Come, we're going to pray a prayer together.